Josefina, you grew up in Romania? Yes. And so uh, off camera you were telling me some interesting things about just movie going in general uh, during the time you were there? It's a lot to talk about it, but uh, I can, you know, I can tell you it was just, you know, it was censorship going on, a lot of censorship. So obviously I didn't grow up with a lot of uh, Hollywood movies that they're modern. Basically, I was watching a lot of Romanian movies that were made in Romania or other uh, communist-made movies. Uh, also, more like Hollywood movies from the 40s, musicals and dramas and things like that. But not a lot of mainstream uh, movies uh, like you know Rocky or John Hughes movies or things like that that I had to you know catch up with after I moved here. And also, no horror movies because those were forbidden during uh, communism because the dictator that we had didn't want to be compared to one of the, you know, monsters like Dracula or Frankenstein from the horror movies, but of course people still compared him with that. So that's why he uh, banned all the horror movies at the time. So once again, it's kind of strange because I'm making horror movies, but I didn't grow up with them. Well, obviously I had a lot of catching up to do after I moved here and started to work in the industry. Was that one of the first things that you did once you were able to watch horror films, or no? It just kind of was a natural. It was a natural process. It's kind of it was kind of overwhelming because we're going from one video store to the another, and they're like all these movies that I wanted to watch for you know a long time. So I would watch almost everything. Like we always watch a movie a, a day, but obviously I wanted to catch up on horror movies because my husband was making horror movies. So I wanted to, you know, understand more of the genre. And then also I started to work um, on various independent productions in the horror movies. And you work with people who have uh, interesting careers and resumes. So you want to watch their movies before you interview for a job or once you start working with them because I think it's normal to be able to have a better conversation with them and learn from them uh, because they always give you examples of what I did on this movie or that movie but I think you should watch their you know, work first. So, um, and then, you know, more you... Uh, you dig into that. I think it's an interesting genre and it's uh, very widespread. And um, for me, I'm like at a level when I think I, I love digging into like, it's not just about um, I have to do that. It's something that I enjoy and uh, I like to uh, go more into obscure things. And it's a lot of lear learning to do because I think you should know a lot about the genre that you are making movies uh, in. And uh, for me, it's a very interesting, it's been a very interesting process because it opened me up to different possibilities. Sometimes people put um, horror filmmaking kind of like almost like in the ghetto of filmmaking. And I think that's wrong because if you look at various uh, filmmakers or movies, um, you can express a lot of interesting ideas through horror movies. You can be political or what's going on in the society at that point. Sure, you might do it with zombies or vampires or whatever, but you can do interesting things and also explore the human nature. And for me, you know, with horror movies, you can do that definitely. Because what I think is interesting sometimes, it's not necessarily about, um, sometimes scary for me, it's not necessarily monsters or vampires. That would be it. But it's more how we 
how human beings treat each other. And that's something that I like to explore in horror movies, because sometimes that can get very scary. Sure. And people's hidden agendas and ulterior motives. Absolutely. Absolutely. That can be, uh, for me, more frightening than, you know, fighting with a monster. Sure. So when you would go to the cinema, when you were in Romania, mm -hmm. uh, what was that experience like in terms of the audience watching the film and engaging with it? You know, people loved movies. Um, they were so thirsty for that. And um, I remember being in lines, especially if it was an American movie, because sometimes they would have, like, let's say, Kramer versus Kramer or something a bit more innocent. They would show that. Well, there were lines around the theater. And once you, if you're lucky to get a ticket, let's say later that afternoon or something, the theaters were full. So people, it was a lot of uh, love for movies and going to the movies. And also I grew up um, with an uncle who was a director of photography. So from an early age, I was either, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera in different situations. And I learned a lot and also watched a lot from shorts to Anything I could, you know, see, it was possible for me to see during that time period. And also later on, it was also something interesting. Once the VHS era started, we were having uh, pirated, you know, um, VHS um, tapes that were like, literally, it was kind of like almost like a hidden circuit. And they were dubbed by a Romanian translator who became a famous film critic nowadays. It's even a documentary made about that era and how she was dubbing movies and about this underground um, circuit. And, you know, you could, everybody was just like so eager to watch anything that it was kind of, it's a fascinating era, you know, basically because something gets banned what happens, people become more thirsty for whatever that's forbidden. So people keep trying to find, and they find ways to see it, you know? I mean, I watched, I remember, I think it's this Meryl Streep movie, Falling in Love, totally dubbed by this <laughs> lady, like the voice, everybody was speaking with the same uh, voice. But you know what? I didn't care, you know? If a movie transports you into another world, it's gonna happen no matter what. And it was on PAL? Like the, the... It was on PAL, yeah. Basically, I don't know, it was literally somebody from, you know, KGB, like in Russia, we had our own KGB. And what's strange, somebody from was an officer in that KGB had like a little operation that was bringing tapes from the West and had a little studio. And uh, he was making, transferring, you know, in PAL and have hired this lady to translate and dub them. Basically, she didn't even have time to watch the movie. She would just show up at the studio, put her you know, headphones on, and she just start translating right then and there. So, you know, obviously it's not like the best transla translation. She was just doing the best she could because there was like so much demand that she couldn't, you know, watch the movie, take notes, translate, all that. She was just doing it like almost on the spot. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And we were watching these tapes and everybody was making dub from a dub and you watch aliens at some, you know, some friend of <laughs> yours birthday party like that. And, you know, everybody was, you know, it's not like an underground, like, okay, I'm giving you aliens, but don't tell that to anybody. Okay. And, you know, from then on, some people are making dubs and it was 
growing. But, you know, obviously in the theaters, uh, people were lining up. And I mean, I watched, you know, sometimes a weird double feature, some Western from the 60s with some Italian cop movie from the 70s. You know, you never know. And for me, it's kind of, it's how I grew up. So how does that affect how you make movies now, knowing that if you try to either conceal something or prevent people from seeing it, it's only going to make them want to see it more? I mean, I guess that's just human nature. It is human nature. Well, you know what happened for us um, with um, our last two movies, High 8 and High Def, is we have different filmmakers who live and work in different parts of the U.S. creating a segment for these hard ontologies. And one of the main things we wanted um, to um, create with this was give everybody the creative freedom. Because people think of uh, independent filmmaking in the US and they think of Sundance or they think of whatever they think, not a whole lot. But probably what they think about is more that they have, in the, they have creative freedom. And that's not the case. We've been made, making movies uh, as independents for like uh, over 10 years now. And sometimes you just kind of do whatever your investor tells you to do or you try to work with them. You come up with an idea, but you kind of have to put some actress in it that you don't want or make a zombie movie, but you have creative freedom. But, you know, you kind of start with their concept. So it's not so much creative freedom for independent filmmakers all the time. And we know that. And other filmmakers who work in the United States, they know that. They've dealt with all sorts of interesting situations. And we realize that. We're like, well, let's create something that these uh, filmmakers can do what they really want to do. We're not going to get involved in their scripts, in their ideas. We're not going to tell them what to do. Uh, we have some rules that everybody have to respect more like a, on a technical level or just, you know, um, to have more like an interesting dogma style um, approach, but they're going to have creative freedom. So that's what we're trying to do. And that's something that I think I'm kind of obsessed with because I'm from Europe. I'm more about um, filmmakers being, especially directors being an auteur, because I've seen how much interference there is in US and how many directors sometimes they um, are cut off from editing room. And, you know, I've heard and witnessed <laughs> all sorts of situations. So I think it's important to give the directors their voice. And that's something that I probably carry too from living, you know, under communism and censorship for, you know, 13, 14 years of my life, yeah. Then you went to film school in France? I started, I went to film school in Romania and then I got a scholarship in France uh, from like their um, foreign affair ministry. And basically you have to do some tests and, you know, and, you know, I made a documentary, like a short in, in France, and then I came back and finished my studies in, in Romania, and then started working in Romania for various uh, studios in production. So how was that from um, knowing there was a controlled message with cinema to then going to France, where was it, was it a very um, open place and very permissive in terms of what was shown? Absolutely. You know, also in Romania after 1990, people started to be like, the culture changed so fast. People were really wild, almost pushing everything to an extreme. 
And um, what I found in France more interesting was um, the respect that I got. Because still in Romania, people, they are so used to kind of being, have too much authority and tell you what to do too much all the time. And that happened in film school, that happened in society. While in France, for the first time in my life, I just almost felt like respect. I was respected. I was just a student, you know. But I just felt respected and considered. And um, that was new to me. Isn't that a Joni Mitchell song, Free Man in Paris or something like that? <laughs> Maybe well, I was a free girl <laughs> in Paris. Yeah. It's probably the first time I really like, was walking the streets and really feeling free and not judged. And, um, it, you know, it's one of those times that they're like very important in your life and you really discover yourself, not to sound pretentious, but that really happens. And um, it's one of the best periods of my life, professionally and personally, absolutely. Then you came to the States uh, early 2001. Mm -hmm. And so how was that in comparison to having those two different experiences, or actually three, Romania during communism, mm -hmm. Romania after communism, and then France, and then you come to what's supposedly so permissive here in the U.S.? With filmmaking, how was that? Oh, wow. Um, you know, for me, like I feel sometimes like I'm this old person because I keep moving from one place to another from, um, you know, different systems. And I'm like, God, how old am I? I'm not that old, no. you know? It's just like I experienced a lot um, in a short time. And I honestly thought, because I've, you know, been doing a bit of traveling before coming here in Europe and everything, that I would adjust to U.S. fast. And because of my experience in France, and that wasn't the case. Um, it took me longer to adjust. And, you know, it was a lot of learning, a lot of uh, catching up. Um, also, I, what's interesting sometimes about, you know, Europe versus U.S. and all that is just how much people sometimes are scared here of nudity, of human body, of certain things that, you know, you want to show, but it's not about exploiting anything. It's just about showing things, how they happen in life. And people are fine with violence, yeah. but they are scared of showing human humans you know and love and just the you know your body which for me that was kind of normal you know even like especially in post-romania everybody was so like free and going crazy and you know <laughs> going to the other extreme like having and you know, almost like naked girls on like the tv guides you know things that wouldn't be allowed now even there but um i was like oh okay this is kind of Kind of strange. I thought it's real freedom, but it's still a bit conservative in some ways. Here in the states, even absolutely. At that time. Yeah, I thought it was a bit conservative with with this aspect. And I was talking to other filmmakers and other people that they did admit that they thought that as well. So, did you consume a lot of the American blockbusters? Finally, whether. You were still, uh, you know, in Romania and you were able to see them. And what was your thought? Well, you know, I did watch some blockbusters, but I'm a bit of a movie snob, you know. So uh, luckily, after 1990, we started to have all sorts of movies um, being distributed uh, one way or another. And um, I had finally access to movies I never had access to before but you know blockbusters i always watch a bit here and there but that's not really my cup 
because tea. I have to be honest with myself. So maybe sometimes in the summer, if I was bored, yeah, I would see that and the Cinematheque was closed and the art house movies were closed for the summer or something. Um, but you know, I'm not that into blockbusters. So you went to the film school in, in two places and then you came here. What was your plan? Were you going to make your own films or did you want to somehow at least just be on a set doing something, whether as a producer, director or something? I know, didn't have a plan, you know, because I know how it's going to be. I never visited U.S. before. Um, so I, all I wanted was just to be able to work in the movie business um, and I was trying to initially because I didn't have a car it was taking me longer to get a driver's license and all that I was trying to work in an office but somehow everything I do everything it happened and every um, opportunity I got was either writing which is great because I love writing and that's my major or um, working on sets which for me I love for me that's like one of the best things about filmmaking and I always learn and I always have fun and so um, I was just happy to work period you know and um, I wasn't I didn't have huge plans in terms of producing or something like that no way. Do you have any advice for people that are coming from other countries that want to come into the film industry and I know we're in different times now and it's harder and people are under more scrutiny coming in here but in terms of trying to find a job in the film industry, we have people on our YouTube channel that'll leave comments about coming over and they're not sure just how to approach things, uh, even just, just, you know, sort of just assimilating to, to life here in LA. You know, it's not easy, no matter what time period you come. I'm gonna tell you right now that it's not easy and you have to be patient and really try hard. Um, I think, first of all, you should be, make sure your English is good. That's has to you know uh, happen and also progress and talk to people and improve your English as much as possible and and apply like literally I applied on jobs online and interviewed and and that's what happened in the same time people in the movie industry they're very open um, I never I don't think I had issues maybe things I don't know behind the scenes but I never had issues because I was from a different country because you know once you start working on sets you meet people there are people from Sweden or Ghana or, you know, people came to me or from Romania or my mother is Italian. People, you know, um, have different interesting family histories here and uh, I think they're very open as far as I'm concerned. I never had issues um, being from another country. But I mean, in just in terms of things to know when they come here, because it it can be culture shock for people coming from San Francisco <laughs> to LA. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's easier now with having access to internet. Like when I, was, I first moved here, we had a dial-up connection. So if my husband had to make a phone call, you know, I couldn't do anything online. Um, I would say it's, it's totally a different culture. Look, and there are different times. It's easier now to get around, you know, with you know, different services, car companies, like, you know, you don't necessarily even have to have a driver's license um, to get around LA, you know, I really had to, to learn the city and... and yeah. um, Thomas Guide. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and you get yeah. lost and you start crying and right. what am I gonna do? I've been there too. Yeah. Uh, but it's like I said, I think it's easier nowadays, you just have to try to make it, and if you make mistakes, well, just learn from that, you know, you're gonna make mistakes you can't just be prepared 
100%. As much as you look into things, and it's easier to look into things nowadays, you're still going to make mistakes. That's how LA is. And just learn from that and, and just keep going. That's, you know, that's what I would say. Just try to apply for jobs and just be respectful and, and you know, talk to people also. Don't just, um, when you're on set, talk to people and, and, and learn from them and, and get friends. That's how you make connections and that's how people are going to bring you to other projects. If you're good, if you're serious, if you put time and if you're friendly, that's important. What are some common myths about horror films? I think there are um, too many probably um, movies that are like kind of done in the same way or they should be done in the same way following a recipe or a certain concept or a certain, you know, because there are so many subgenres in the Hollywood, in the um, horror movies like, you know, you have slashers and you have zombies and, um, people tend to kind of do the same thing over and over again. And I think that's kind of, kind of boring. In the same time, nowadays there are people reinventing the genre and that's something I am more interested in doing, exploring other avenues and other ways of doing things. Um, uh, also, probably people think sometimes that horror genre is kind of dumb, kind of stupid, or it's just, you know, kill, 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 and that's all it is. Um, but there are so many interesting movies out there, and nowadays um, people express more things, use the genre to express more things, and um, I think it's getting interesting. Like Hereditary, it didn't seem like a full horror film at times, it was very fascinating, it was more about a family and there was a, a still eeriness to it and then at times horrific parts, but I, I really enjoyed that as someone who's not a total consumer of horror films. Right. Well, I think people are trying to, uh, and they should do um, uh, different types of horror movies and things that, uh, you know, either they are based on their personal experiences or they um, there are things that they find horrific because I don't think there are limits and uh, I think everybody should just um, try to do more interesting things that come back again and again with the same uh, recipes. For us, um, you know, it's boring to do the same thing over and over again, even if, you know, because we make uh, mostly horror movies. So you don't want to make the same movie over and over again. It is boring. You want to explore other things. You know, that's sometimes it is fun to, okay, you know, this year I'm making a horror movie, but next year I'm making a zombie movie. But more than that, sometimes you do want to explore and create things that you haven't done before or they haven't been done before. Um, so when we're doing high eight and uh, high def, Brad directed um, a segment for each as well, we're trying to see what we can do to contribute to the genre. And we realize that the best thing to do is go to our personal experiences and put them out there. So in High 8, we did this segment called The Scout um, that explores a scout that goes wrong, but also the tension between, you know, an older director with, you know, who's involved with a younger actress, age gap, and, um, past and present um, in the desert, because we wanted to, um, 
I mean, I wanted to make a movie in the desert. Brad has done that before, and I thought it's also um, an interesting backdrop for a horror movie because it's harder to see where the killer comes from because it's such an open space. And for me, it's very American. And uh, visually, it's, it's stunning. Um, and for high def, we decided to continue with the uh, filmmaking, uh, personal-based um, stories. So we did um, a segment about um, an audition that goes wrong. And it's all, and we wrote it together. It's, um, and this happened before the Me Too movement. Um, but because, you know, we've been working in the industry for a while, we either witnessed um, or things that happened to us, we put them in the segment. Because, you know, it's so much abuse in the industry, not only for women, actually. Um, and I, we, think, we thought we should address that. Of course, the audition goes tragically wrong and horrific but uh we wanted to it's once again it's about what human beings can do it to each other and it's about pushing the limits of somebody who wants to succeed to make it in the industry and how much people can put up with abuse so that's you know it's always all sorts of interesting themes you 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 know you want to explore we just unfortunately you don't have the time or the money to do as much as you would like to do because um we always have um, ideas that we want to explore or explore scripts or you know things ready to go did anybody get squeamish about that it's, it's interesting because people seem to want to talk about the me too movement in terms of outing people but then when we talk about it as a group i think a lot of people kind of like don't want to go there and it's, it's interesting it's like an elephant in the room and it exists, but then whether it's someone who's a willing participant with it, there's definitely people, male and female, that are willing sure, to go there. It's sure. an agreed upon relationship, yeah. and they're okay with that. And it's just interesting how we, it's like we can't talk about it, but then we can out people on Twitter, you know? It's just, it's a very strange I'm thing. I'm not about necessarily about outing people, I, and nobody got squeamish. I think we should address certain things, you know, because they do happen, they happen to us. And um, they're not, it's not so much sexual, but it's about human behavior, you know, and how we treat each other. And for me, coming from Romania, that was also very uh, strange and weird to see how much abuse was in the industry and how much sexism. I mean, I didn't see sexual harassment, uh, but I saw a lot of sexism and abuse toward like I said, to our directors, he was so much abuse that I was, I was shocked. And I think we should talk about that. And, you know, um, because people need to know it's not all glamour in Hollywood, you know, it's just a lot of hard work and you do put up with a lot of things in order to make a movie sometimes. Sure. And I guess too, the, the stakes being so high and people want so badly. For, yeah. for things to turn out, yeah. whatever part of the industry they're in. Yeah, yeah, and you know, when we're auditioning actors for, for this part, we're talking to actors and we're asking them, you know, when they're reading and all that, we're like, is it shocking for you? What do you think? And they were, everybody was telling us, no, it's not shocking at all. We had, have our own stories. And this, in, in a weird way, since kind of real because okay not all of these situations that are in the script happen to us 
but similar things did happen here and there and everybody had other stories and um, for us we felt like we're doing the right thing to um, show a slice of what is going on in a more like in a fantasy world but that we created but you know it's based on reality and it starts real so it just goes a bit uh, in a fantasy world at some point. Do you think name actors are scared to be a part of horror films? It's a cliche. Uh, I don't think they're scared. I think if you um, give them a good meaty role and um, if they like you, I think they're not gonna be scared. No, I think, uh, and because a lot of people's careers got reinvented that way, I don't think they are uh, as scared. Um, we worked with name actors like Steve Rails back and you know, interesting people. Um, and um, they were never snobby about that. It's more about the part and they just wanna make sure that you are serious about what you're doing and um, you do kind of have to prove yourself to them, which is fine if you know what you're doing and you have a plan and um, you share that with them. Um, but other than that, frankly, we worked with most of name actors we work with, they were um, frankly super cool and friendly and professional and, um, you know, sometimes of course people get a bit, um, strange about promoting the movie or you know you do tend to have some issues here and there but you know that's the nature of the beast and you just kind of have to take what's good about the experience and move on and more important if it's you know for me what's more important is that they do a great job with their part and they give you a hundred percent and in most cases they give you a hundred percent and some so what do you think about a director or a filmmaker's requirements that an actor be part of the promotion? You know, I would, I like that. I mean, I don't think it should be like such a requirement that should be necessarily in the contract or something. I think, and it's something I'm dealing with and I've been dealing with for a while, I think it should be more like a team effort because this is not just my baby, it's everybody's baby. Uh, we all put a lot of work into it. Um, and I think we should try to promote it as much as possible and work together on that. And you know, sometimes people tend to move on too fast and they kind of just leave you and the movie behind. And you know, that's something as a producers, we kind of have to live with. It's kind of sad and sometimes it's disappointing. Um, but it happens all the time. What advice would you give to Josefina back in 2001 about filmmaking versus now? To be less stressed about everything in general mm -hmm. and um, not overthink so much everything. Uh, that would be number one. Um, but in the same time, you know, looking back, um, It's just kind of like, you know, hard to um, think and say, hey, how I would have done things now because, you know, it's kind of too late. But mostly I would say just stress less. What makes you pass on a project? Um, you know, 
I don't pass so much on projects because we initiate them, so it's a bit different uh, for us. Um, but you know, if people bring things to me, I just have to be very passionate about something in order to do it. And I have to feel like I'm putting not my entire voice there, but you know, because I make movies with bread, I always have um, an input, a voice, um, some creative control, um, and it's a very collaborative process. So if I can't have that, then for me, um, it's just not interesting. I'm not just there to create a mechanic for somebody just to make their own movie, you know? It's just kind of like I have to be involved creatively on some level or feel like that's my baby too. What do you do that you know this is what I do best and then the other things, I know this is what Brad does best and that's how you make it work? You know, it depends on each situation, but uh, yeah, there are things that, you know, I know he's better than I am at. You know, first of all, when he directs, he directs, I'm not getting involved in his shot list. He can consult with me and I can offer him opinions, but I'm not going to be on set over his shoulder to tell him to redo a take or um, try to get a different performance from an actor. That's his... Um, thing and I totally trust him and you, you I think you should trust people because if you're going to micromanage everything everybody's going to get nervous around you and they're not going to give you the hundred percent and there are things that he's better you know sometimes some creative things like finding titles for movies um, sometimes conceptual things um, and sometimes promotional things he's better than me and you know we know when to step back and just let the other person um, do that. And also, you know, it's the same with other collaborators that, you know, different people that we work with. Um, I think everybody needs a, some guidance, but you just, once you've done that, just, you know, let them create and give them a chance to do something and then go from there. I think if you let people have some input, they're going to, most of the time, come up with something cool and interesting that you're going to like. How does your process work with Brad when you, you said you say most of your projects are like, you know, sort of like self-driven or, mm -hmm. or they, they come from the two of you. What is it? You see something in the news, you have an idea. How does it work? It's so different each time. Um, you know, sometimes it could be, um, you know, something we get inspired from going out, you know, to a concert or to a museum or something, an idea or something that stays with you for a while. I know I want to make a movie about, but I'm not, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure, so I'm gonna, you know, we're taking our time to come up with ideas. It's it's different each time. It's not, every project is different. It starts in a different way. Um, it can come from him or it can come from me or, um, and we just talk and discuss and, you know, um, that's kind of how it always starts with a conversation and go from there, see who's going to write the script or who's going to write on his own or I'm going to be involved or, um, because, you know, I think, um, speaking of, you know, who's better with certain things than others, we know that. So, uh, you have to be honest with yourself and, um, you know, just discuss that and, um, uh, Start, start like that. Well, you just finished an anthology film, mm -hmm. is that right? So then how did that begin? 
we begin high it begin with high eight um high def is a sequel of high eight high eight is horror um it's a horror ontology horror independent eight so we had eight uh interesting you know indie filmmakers that contributed to a segment uh, to the anthology. What happened was Brad actually met different filmmakers in a Facebook group and everybody was complaining, like I was saying, about lack of freedom and they're kind of tired of dealing with different investors and distributors and different conditions and they're like, you know, it used to be fun when we're making movies when we're kids and just running around with a camera with our friends and doing that. So they're like, well, why don't we do that now? And they're circulating this idea of uh, this title. High 8 started with just with a title, more like based on the format, because back in the day they were shooting on High 8 format. So Brad came to me and he was like, would you like to do that? And I thought it's just cool and fresh and different and we've never done that before. And I was like, yeah, let's let's figured out a way, a way to do this because it's complicated. You're dealing with people you never met before that live in different parts in the US um, and everybody has their own personality, but um, let's try to do that. And just that happened really fast. We got the, the, all these directors on board and everything moved on fast and it was fun and cool and it was going back, kind of like going back and just making movies with your friends, only this time around you have more professional experience, so you apply certain rules and, you know, you have contracts, you, you're professional, so you do it like that. And that was a fun, well-received project, played different festivals and got good reviews, so we decided to do the sequel. And for the sequel, like I said, Brad is usually coming up with titles, but this time around it was my idea. High Death, it was my idea because we're thinking to graduate to a different format, um, to HD. So we're trying to figure out a title and it just kind of came to me because it's like high death, it's HD and it's death and it's, a, you know, it's kind of like the theme that we're going to be using for this anthology, which that's what we did each segment has a theme which is death so every filmmaker explores the you know theme of the death in their segment it's just more a creative way to unify all the pieces but everybody is doing something different because once again they have uh, uh, creative freedom and we do look at their scripts before they start shooting and everything but we like i said we don't interfere with that it's more for us to know, it's like an excitement to see what everybody's doing and also to make sure that we don't repeat certain ideas or concepts or not everybody's doing a segment with zombies or something like that. But other than that, and that never happened, everybody's coming up with cool original things because what's fun about these segments, um, all the filmmakers are coming up with ideas that they can't use in like a longer format, like a feature, but they're cool and fun to explore, you know, for like 10 minute or 15 minute segment or 20 minute segment. So it's just interesting for people to experiment because, you know, some of these filmmakers, their fans, they have fans and their fans know them for, you know, slashers or zombie movies or whatever but they want to do something different um, and they want to explore things that they haven't done before and this is the perfect way to do that.
How did you receive submissions for those scripts? Like, where did you put the call out? Was it on this Facebook group? Or? Um, no, basically, we do choose the filmmakers we want to work with. So we go to them first and we ask them, hey, do you want to be a part of that? And if they accept that, we tell them, hey, these are our rules. And then they send us the script uh, once they have an idea. We have some deadlines, but, you know, like I said, it's not written in stone because people do make other movies and we try to work around their schedules and also... It's good not to rush people so they have a bit of time to come up with something interesting. And they send us the scripts after basically we invite them to, you know, join the anthology. First time around we had eight filmmakers and second time around we had five because the segments were longer. Yeah, everybody works with the same kind of budget. It's not a lot, but here it's more about, um, about doing what they want to do. How long were the scripts that they were sending? You said it was 15-minute well, segments? Yeah, so it's kind of like 15 pages or something around there. You know, it's interesting because everybody works differently. Like sometimes we dealt with like a filmmaker who just doesn't write scripts, just sends you a segment. It's kind of like a concept. It's like a synopsis. And we don't work like that. We just always have scripts and, you know, shot lists, and he doesn't do that. He just takes the concept and uh, goes on set, shows it to the actors, and they improvise. And... And that's something interesting for us. We're like, well, we give people creative freedom. We just need to step back and just let them do that. And of course, it's nerve-wracking because you hope he's going to actually do that. But, you know, he did and it was great and fun and um, just kind of have to trust people even if they don't work the same way you do. So that's something we kind of learn to step back and, uh, you know, give it a shot. That's why, you know, we don't have big budgets because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Does filmmaking always have to be fun for you? I mean, you had said about the Facebook group that the filmmakers were saying, you know, what about when we were kids and we were creative and free? But then you start to do something after a while and then the stakes rise and then sometimes the fun can be squeezed out of it. How do you keep it fun? Well, that's kind of hard because, you know, we're adults and we do have responsibilities now and things are tougher. Um, for us, probably fun is when we shoot things, you know. Sometimes it could be in editing. Uh, there are moments when that happens and it's spontaneous. We do try to keep it fun, but, um, you know, and sometimes that doesn't depend on you because you have collaborators and they can just sometimes drag everything down or they're not fun or they have bad attitudes or, you know, it's not 100% uh, up to you. You do try to start the project always with a great attitude and try to get people with cool attitudes, but, you know, you never know. Everything is different. Everybody's different. Or people's personalities change. You have the same collaborators working with you from your previous project, but all of a sudden they're not the same people anymore. There's something changed to them. So, you know, for us, it's um, we do try to have fun and uh, we do try to sometimes from a concept or on set, but. Um, Probably what's for us always, uh, what we do, like if you had like a tough day and you're like, what am I doing this? Um, what am I putting myself for this? Uh, we always watch movies. So at night we watch a movie and uh, you had a very tough day when you kind of want to give up everything and never touch a camera in your life. And you watch a 
great movie that you know you just discovered that night and you're like well yeah that's what I'm doing what I'm doing because I love movies and that gives you the energy to wake up next day and continue despite the jerk you dealt with yesterday or somebody who you might have to fire even if that's not why you make movies or different situations that you have that you know come up when you make movies because yeah it's not always fun anymore you're not in film school you're not with your friends making movies anymore so uh, you deal with different personalities and budgetary restrictions and you can't always hire all the right people that you want or things can happen all the time so yeah it's not fun with paperwork and you know all that I was watching In a Lonely Place with um, Humphrey Bogart, and it seems like nothing's really changed since then. I mean, in terms of just, you know, well, what's she done? Oh, a few indie films. You know, it just seems like nothing has really changed in terms of just how people were sort of reacting to him and, you know, his process as a screenwriter, and I just found that interesting. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, look, it's tough. I'm not saying it's always easy, because it's not. It's Mostly it's tough, and you kind of have to have almost like a helmet built around you to keep going but probably that helmet is the passion that you have for movies and what they were talking in that Facebook group it's true it's a passion you had when you were you know when you first started out or you decided that's what you want to do that has to still be somewhere inside you that carries you through all the struggles that you have all the time because you know you're gonna have struggles no matter how many movies you're making, you know, like sometimes I always think of, okay, what didn't work well on the last movie? And I'm trying to prevent that type of situation on the next one. Well, something else will happen that will go bad that you have to deal with and fix and still finish your movie. So it's, it's very uh, unpredictable. There's so many things you can't control as much as you try to prepare things well. Um, but what carries you through all this, or what carries me, I should say, and Brad, because I can speak uh, for him too, uh, is the love for movies and what you do. And sometimes just the creative process could be fun, or sometimes somebody sends you over the trailer of your movie, and that's what you know you you were hoping for, and that makes your day. And little moments like that that totally make it worth it or sometimes having your movie selected to a festival that you didn't necessarily even apply they just want your movie because they liked your previous one and you get the email and you're like oh that's great that makes my day or that makes certain things that you're dealing with worth it how much thought do you put into the trailer in terms of knowing that you're gonna have people see it potentially distributors I don't know if you enter festivals as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do festivals. We trailer is very important, and uh, we used to literally uh, create a script for that. Nowadays, we're working with an editor that is very film savvy, and we have a great report with. So um, we kind of let him contribute more, and we stuck to the script, you know. But um, we work with him on the trailer and he gets a lot of the ideas that um, we want to put out there. So he, you know, we work with him and it's, it's fun. But you know, it's tough to trailer, for example, the anthologies that we're doing because you know, in a feature it's easier. 
you have the whole story and you just kind of think of how you want to create and what you want to put out there. But here you have different segments or different stories. So it's more challenging in terms of trailering, creating a trailer for that um, because you want to uh, represent um, all the segments, but you have to create a story out of that and make it fun for the fans and put some cool imagery out there. So it's a challenge, but for us, that's fun. And especially since we work with somebody who gets it and it's fun to work with, it's, it's fun. It's one of the parts of the process we like a lot. What are some common mistakes you see filmmakers do with trailers? Like you, once you see the film, you're like, this is actually a brilliant film, but the trailer didn't sell it for me. Well, not to give you a different answer that, you know, your question, sometimes what I think it's wrong was people shooting trailers and putting a lot of money into that for movies that don't exist just to get the movie off the ground. That's not, I think, a good way to get a movie off the ground. Also, what I think is a trailer shouldn't be long. Sometimes people kind of have very long trailers with a lot of dialogue scenes. That's another mistake. I think it should be fast. It should show some cool imagery and cool lines from your movie, but it should go fast. It should have a cool little story, or even if it's not the story of your movie, it's okay. Don't reveal everything, but show something there so people can get an idea of what the movie is about. I mean, I don't think you should misrepresent your movie. Uh, I think uh, people, what you get through the trailer, it kind of should be what you, your movie is. And, you know, of course, you don't want to reveal everything. I, we never want to reveal everything, uh, especially endings, things like that. We try to stay away from that. Some people choose to do that, and that's fine. Um, it's their choice, but we don't like to do that. What about revealing things in the actual movie? How much of it do you want the audience to see and how much do you want hidden? So is the audience going to know more than the character will in most of your films? Uh, depends on, it depends on the movie. Um, it depends on the movie. Most of the time we kind of like the audience to um, discover things while the character does. So they are kind of more in suspense and kind of guessing things while things are happening uh, and be more involved that way. How have distribution deals changed from when you first began making films? Distribution changed a lot, period. <laughs> um, we used to make actually movies, that's how our production company started. We used to make movies directly for distributors. Uh, so that was a different um, process. Um, then the industry changed a lot and we basically then we started to do more like getting money from investors, private investors and you know make the movie and then you shop it around. And that's what we're at right now. Basically, we make the movie, and then we shop around, see you know who's out there, and also based on your past experience, how you're treated before by other distributors, um, you're kind of like trying to avoid certain things, you know, to happen to you. Um, like what? 
like being screwed financially. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, <laughs> like being mistreated by the film, by the distributor, uh, by not showing you the artwork of your movie, um, not um, being able to approve that or at least be involved in that, having your name is spelled on the back box. Uh, on a DVD cover or VHS or for, like somebody literally they forgot to put Brad's name on a oh. movie he directed on the uh, DVD cover on the back but you know the guy who did the artwork his name was there but the director god forbid should be on the box so you know talking of abuse and many issues like that we had a lot happening to us so uh, we're kind of wary and you know sometimes you have you deal with uh, you know if we dealt with various companies some bigger some smaller and sometimes you deal with bigger companies and you think you're gonna be in better hands but not necessarily because they deal with like a lot of movies and sometimes they don't get your movie even if they are acquired and you know paid for that and then you struggle with their promotion department and they don't get your movie and they don't put like let's say the laurels from the festivals on the back cover you fight to to do that because they want to sell it as a, this big blockbuster thing but you know that people are not going to buy that because they know what blockbusters are out there so your movie it is an indie you know sci-fi or horror movie and it won some festivals awards so let's not be ashamed of that you know but there are struggles and sometimes how you're treated you know as a filmmaker uh, you know you don't even get to go inside the production company the production the distribution company's office you're just more like a production assistant and kind of like dropping your deliverables and they don't even want to deal with you to pass by the receptionist uh, so, you know, we had all sorts of um, situations. Okay, maybe we passed by when we recorded the commentary because we had to, you know. But you kind of treated and kind of kept away. So, you know, we're working um, on the last couple of movies, working with Wild Eye on releasing, and they are a um, distributor in New Jersey. And usually we don't work with uh, distributors who are not in LA we like to meet with them and go to their office and all that but we work with them because uh, they respect the filmmaker more and that's important to us they do send us the dvd covers they do send us a check disc we have input we make changes uh, we discuss that with them um, and that's frankly how it should be but it's not all, all the time so what about when it comes to streaming? Um, what are some things regarding distribution deals that filmmakers should be aware of? Uh, you should uh, make sure that um, your movie gets on various streaming avenues nowadays because you have to. Although streaming is not generating a lot of money for distributors or filmmakers. Uh, also, it's getting tougher for independent, even independent distributors and uh, filmmakers, even like let's say Amazon, they're trying to put more restrictions uh, about your content. Like uh, we had to fog some areas in our movie, on our last movie to make sure at least it gets on their um, streaming services. And 
I wasn't happy at all being from Romania and you know having dealt with censorship in the past and that's something people don't talk about nowadays. I think we definitely need to address that we don't need that. They're afraid that they can be sued by you know parents whose kid clicked on your movie and they see whatever because it's a horror movie you know so you have some violence you have some nudity whatever but I don't think because of that I should fog or cut scenes from my movie I don't think it's fair but in this case it was the only way to get the movie out there and I also it it, it creates um you know some revenue that we need as indie uh, filmmakers we really need. So that's an issue that um, it just arises to us with this movie. It didn't happen previously, but now it happens. Also, Netflix, you know, uh, when it started, uh, we used to get our movies on Netflix easily. Once they start to get bigger, they don't accept a lot of indie movies anymore, not just horror movies. They don't just accept that period. So it's kind of frustrating because they build their company on movies like ours. Like our older movies, they're you know, part of their services. Our newer movies aren't. And that's just not fair, you know, because then they build their business on small movies like us when, you know, studios wouldn't deal with them because they didn't know who they were. And then they got bigger and bigger and sure, you know, they make their own productions, they don't care anymore. So, you know, streaming is important, but it's, it's tough. They have a lot of uh, quality control, uh, like I think iTunes, it's very tough about that, like almost too tough. And it's very hard on indie filmmakers, you know, because it's it's a very expensive process to get a movie on, like, let's say, iTunes, because it costs us and the distributor a lot of money. And I don't know if I would make my money back if I, you know, give it to them necessarily. But just to go through the process to be accepted, it's very expensive. So, you know, uh, streaming, it's still kind of a complicated issue. We still believe in... Uh, uh, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays and uh, even VHS. High def even came like limited VHS because there are a lot of collectors out there and a lot of uh, horror fans are collectors and they're supportive. And um, frankly, that's what generates more money than streaming, just like physical media still. Even if a lot of video stores are closed and retail stores are closed, at least, you know, from various um, sites, they can buy, you know, the DVD and that generates more money than actually streaming. So with the, the fogging of, of the things in the movie, are we talking labels and, and brands or this is like male full frontal or something? You're yeah, right? it's, okay. it's what's fogging, uh, we had to fog is male full front or women full front. Not a lot, because I didn't have a lot, obviously, but um, yeah, it's about nudity. It's not about uh, brands, because we wouldn't have that to begin with. That's something I make sure, as a producer, we don't have that. Um, and I, I'm very um, kind of nagging the field producers of all these segments not to have that. and. If we would have that, we would deal with that. We would first digitally remove it or you know, do something or have them reshoot something so that wouldn't even get there. 
But no, for me, it's, it's literally we're getting to a state of censorship of, you know, um, basically somebody we gave artistic control, now he had parts of his segment fogged. So I'm not happy about that. He wasn't, the director wasn't happy about that because none of us knew that would happen. But, you know, he understands. Obviously, he wants his movie out there. And that happened only on, only on streaming. On DVD, VHS, we have no problem because a distributor doesn't care. He's very cool. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't have set in the movie in the first place. He knows what these movies are, and he loves the genre, and he's very cool and supportive. So he's not the one creating the problem at all. He was annoyed to tell me about this new thing with Amazon. So, yeah. And it's, is it only Amazon or the other? As far as I know, right now, it's just Amazon. But I don't know. Like, it's something very new. And to be honest with you, other filmmakers we know uh, didn't have this experience yet. So I'm kind of like trying to almost talk about it. So maybe it'll stop at some point if we bring it up, you know, and discuss that. This is um, an issue that we started to get concerned with recently because of this movie and this situation. Also, I'm not thrilled with, you know, piracy in general because that really, um, you know, kills us financially. And it's very hard nowadays to make foreign sales and everything because of piracy. So. It's a major concern, and it's something the industry didn't do anything about for years. So that's very problematic. And I guess, you know, big studios, they're, you know, they lose some money, but they don't care uh, enough about that. And even if they have offices full of lawyers, they don't do anything. But we, as independent filmmakers, were really affected by that because we lose a lot of foreign sales. and. I mean, I had to shut down things on YouTube, people putting our movie illegally on YouTube many times, a distributor had to do that too. I had to shut down here and there some torrent sites. But you know, I can't do that every day. I can't mm. chase these things every day or otherwise I'm not gonna make movies anymore, you know? I mean, I don't have a room full of lawyers doing that, you know, who are hired uh, on staff, paid to do things like that. I just do it myself and, you know, it's kind of negative and it's not something you wanna do every day. Here and there, look, I'm gonna do it because, you know, we're losing money and I don't want my movie on YouTube who just came out or something for everybody to watch it for free when they can just buy a copy or stream it on various, you know, venues that are out there. So, yeah. Do you send an email to the um, content creator first? I mean, I realize it's your, your IP that they've stolen, but do you try to at least give them one chance? Because I find it's interesting when people, they'll fight you back on it, like, no, I'm not taking this down. And you're like, wait a minute, what gives you the right to have our... I don't deal with people who put it out there. Oh, you just I just right? go mm -hmm. to YouTube or right. whoever and just write them. I have like a literally um, a document already written and I just copy sure. and paste it and I just send it. They do take it down. Yeah, they are responsive if you reach yeah. out to them. Yeah. But yeah. you have to do it. And you don't always have time to check on YouTube to see if your movie is illegally there, you know. But sometimes if you do, and I just do it right away because I just, you know, have a document and I just copy and paste it and send it immediately. And it usually gets down because I have... It's my movie, I have proofs. Sure. Only unless, you know, my production company or the distributor, you know, they're the only entities who could do something with it. Do the two of you create stories for the market? I know that's a big dilemma. When you 
make a movie, you know, you kind of have to consider a lot of things because um, you don't just make it for yourself. You have to consider the fans, what they like. You do think of what's trendy, but you know, you also know till you're gonna finish post-production, whatever is trendy now, it's not gonna be trendy in a year. So you kind of have to uh, almost take a chance. What we do lately is just kind of take a chance and do some things that we think they're original. They haven't been made before. It's not just trendy. Because if it's trendy, you just have to do it fast, and that's a machine, that's a factory, and we just don't do that. Other companies do that, that's great. We don't do that. So then we're just kind of going more on our guts, on what we know about the genre. We get inspired from various movies from different time periods, uh, what we know fans like, and uh, what we like to do to contribute. And like I said, you just sometimes just take a chance and see what people they like it or not, but you have to put something out there that you like and you hope other people will like. But we do always think of fans of other people. And you, know, you do think um, you want your movie to be easily marketed, to have something new and fresh and brings a new original concept. You, don't, you want it to stand out in the crowd because a lot of people are making movies, a lot of competition out there. So you don't want your movie to be one of the whatever new slasher movies or, you know, okay, it's zombie movies are popular. Okay, let's make one of those. We don't want that. We're trying to create whatever your budget is. Sometimes you have more money, sometimes you don't, but you're trying, we're trying to do something more original and contribute and make it stand out. You do kind of, especially Brad is very good about like the tile, make sure it hasn't done before. It's cool, it's new, it's fresh concept. Sometimes we come up with the artwork before the script is even finished, just to create something that, you know, we haven't done, we haven't seen before, and just makes your movie stand out. Because speaking of distribution and festivals, they want the things that stand out. It's easy, easier for them to market things if you know what you're doing and you bring them something more interesting and different. So a theme I'm picking up is that you, you like to do things that are new and that you haven't done before? You don't want to be regurgitating sort of the same thing again? No, because we started by doing that. And uh, you do a lot of programmers or things like that. And look, there are fun and you have to make a living and you try even with those to contribute things. But, you know, lately we're kind of like, look, uh, you know, we're not getting any younger and you just want to contribute more than, you know, just make a movie that is like 100 other movies. We're just trying to do things that are more interesting for us to explore um, that we haven't done before because, you know, okay, a slasher, it's good fun, but, and, you know, Brad is known for some slashers and everything, and I'm not saying I'm not going to do that ever again, but if I would do it, once again, I would try to, you know, break the tradition, come up with something different. Just... You know, just keep people guessing and also make it more fun and interesting than the same thing over and over again. I mean, you know, it's boring, I think, for everybody. So once you finish a project, how much time do you give yourself in between or you don't? Do you give yourself like a resting period to kind of rejuvenate or no? Because it must take a lot out of you. 
it does it does take a lot out of us because we're like you know guiding a project for years um ideally that would be nice to have a break but that doesn't always happen most of the time it has doesn't happen like Right now, we have high def coming out and we're already working on the next movie. So prepping different things, you know. Um, so, you know, it just kind of happens um, because, you know, at the same time, some projects are gonna drag longer in post or something. So at least till you get to the point that you get them in the can, you're trying to get things going um, as much as possible, not let the momentum going either. You know, because things tend to take longer than you'd like to sometimes, so it's better to get on on it. But ideally, yeah, that would be nice to have a bit of a break, but that, like I said, that doesn't always happen. It's not, even if you're in charge, you're not, it's not always, you know, up to you. And every movie, it's, it's different, has its own journey. You know, sometimes, you know, we used to make movies for distributors and when we were doing that, they had a release date set already. So before we even shooting, we knew one would be coming out. So you really can't drag your feet to that. Nowadays, we don't do that. But in the same time, we do kind of set ourselves some sort of deadline because otherwise things are never going to get finished. Um, so with high def, we had like a festival deadline. It wasn't like, the movie didn't have to be like completely finished, finished in post, but at least get to a certain phase to be acceptable to present it to a festival because otherwise people can keep dragging things and, you know, um, slow down the process. So I think we all um, need deadlines. But yeah, in an ideal work, I w world, I would like to have a few breaks in between, definitely. At what point do you think a filmmaker is ready to take on investors? You know, you're never ready. You just have to just start to do it. You know, just just have have the chance um, to take the chance or try. You know, you can't just wait for somebody to let you do something. Or you know, sure, you do have to be prepared. You can't just come out of film school and not have any experience and think you're gonna you know get a lot of money to make a big movie or something. But I think it's good to work on sets. I think it's good to gather experience because when you get in a meeting with investors, they'll know that you know what you're talking about. And that, I think it's important. But um, I don't think you're ever ready. I think at some point you should just take a risk and just go for it and see what happens. Because I don't think it's good to wait forever for um, things to happen. You're never ready. Uh, people can, you know, think of, oh, I still need more money to make my movie. I still have some money that, you know, I got already in the bank, but I'm still, I still need more. Uh, they always want everything to be perfect. And as much as you try, it's not going to be perfect, but it's better just to go and do it. And you learn from that and you'll have a movie than just wait for years to get a bit more money and you'll never make a movie. So I think it's better just to like sometimes just take the chance and go for it. I mean, when I first started to produce, I mean, was I ready? I don't know. I mean, part, yeah, I, I was, and I was, I thought I was, but I wasn't like overthinking it, you know? I already had some experiences, learned some things, and you just kind of have to go and do it. But, you know, when, you know, on our first day of shoot, um, 
you know, he scouted the location big time, it was a river going through it. All of a sudden, it was a lot of rain from our last scout, and it was a river going through uh, the area that we had to, like, and almost build a bridge to carry equipment to go to the woods we needed to shoot. Well, was I prepared for that? No, I wasn't, but you just sometimes just to kind of roll up your sleeve, and that's what's called filmmaking. You just kind of have to be very flexible and, you know, uh, learn how to deal with every situation. No, I was not prepared for that. It's not what I thought I'm going to be doing that day. But so what? You know, the movie got finished. So that's what it matters. And it makes for a funny story now, even if it was really stressful back then. Can you take us back to the first time that you pitched an investor? Probably um, that was like in 2006 six or something, uh, we're trying to get a bigger movie off the ground and Brad was writing some specs for this production company that was um, out of state. They never um, produced a movie, they're just kind of investing in scripts and we're like, well, maybe you should actually, you know, they're, you should try to make a movie instead of just putting so much money in development. So we knew about a cool place um, that was kind of like a stage in the valley that had some built-in sets, kind of sci-fi looking. And Brad had a concept already for what he wanted to do there. And like a sci-fi interesting horror movie. So we went over there and we videotaped, um, kind of did like a tour of the place, of the facility, of the sets. So that, together with the script, was kind of like a um, package to pitch, kind of give them an idea what they can get. But even that, you know, they, they liked the script and they liked the place and they got the idea that we could do something for lower budget but interesting. But even that took years to, probably over a year, to get all the financing because my initial budget, which was also part of the pitching, package. Um, I mean, we didn't get that as much money as we would have liked to initially. I was budgeting for like a 35 millimeter to shoot on that, longer schedule over three weeks or something. But you know, sometimes, like I said, what you get, you work with what you have. So um, based on how much they gave us, I had to reconfigure everything and shot on HD and, you know, had a shorter schedule than, you know, but we, we, manage to do that. You kind of have to rethink everything and, you know, um, have almost like a plan B. And uh, that's our movie Plaguers that we did in, we shot in 2006 or seven. Six. What are some signs to an investor that a filmmaker is ready to take on? You know, some people they just trust you, you know, just from like, I don't know, um, like, you know, from like your previous work. Um, and some people are gonna uh, question you and challenge you no matter um, your experience. And I think that, um, you know, you kind of have to be prepared for both, you know, because you never know what you're gonna get. Um, but I think more experience you have, the better. But you know, when you start out, you're not gonna have so much experience, but um, maybe uh, partner yourself with a producer or a line producer or you know, few people who have more experience than you and you can trust to maybe you know, help you out to get something bigger.
of the ground and also help in a meeting with investors and so on. For me, I felt as a woman was always tough um, being in a room, like I was the only, always the only woman in the room. And I'm from another country and we're married and have an accent. So it's always, it was always a challenge to, like I always had to prove myself again and again and again, even if by that point, let's say, you know, especially the players, by that point I produced some, some features. I had some of these investors come to visit our set so they see how we work and that we, you know, they knew we're uh, completing movies, we're, you know, on schedule, on budget. Sometimes with some people it could be never enough and some people they just trust you right away. So, you know, sometimes it's a matter of luck, who you meet and how they treat you and everything. Like, you know, everybody has different experience, but with me it was e either very easy like, yeah, sure, okay, who is she? Okay, fine. Or like, I have meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and, you know, but still, uh, hopefully, at the end, you'll get the money to make the movie because sometimes you meet with people and things never happen. That's a lot of time wasting. And uh, that's why sometimes we got fed up. Like, that's why we made high eight because we're meetings for uh, a couple of years to get uh, bigger movies off the ground. And... Uh, it was the economic crisis and everything, and people were very wary. And even if we made a movie that was bigger budget and successful and everything, and we got tired of waiting and all these meetings and things were not happening and agents and and we're like, we what do we do here? We're wasting time. We're filmmakers. We make movies. So you know, who cares what budget we have? Let's just take a camera and go because this is years of your life that you're not productive. And for us, that's not acceptable but there's a big difference between somebody identifying someone or, or identifying with someone or liking them versus someone being competent I mean I could meet a million people that hey I'd want to be best friends with but they're not competent how would you prove that you're competent that you can deliver when you say you will because sometimes you just get a feeling about somebody and maybe they're not really your kind of person but you're like this person's not competent and they're gonna come through for me and I can tell well I think everybody has a track record you know, and sometimes your movies do speak for yourself, you know, I have a body of work. And also how I prepare, you know, if you see I'm prepared and I have solutions and I have a budget and I, and all these things that I personally bring, I don't know what other people do, but I bring them from experience and from what I've done before, you know, but um, I, you know, I don't mind answering questions, obviously I always do. And I always have a plan for, you know, how I would pull that movie off. And I share it with people and tell them how I would approach that. Um, you know, if they trust me or not, I don't know, you know. But um, I think if you're not prepared, then that's a problem. You're not going to have a chance. If you're prepared, yeah, you might have a chance. And you know what? Sometimes we know, and it's annoying. People, filmmakers get money from God knows, some rich relative or something. They don't have to prepare for anything. Like you go through meetings and you go through a lot of proving yourself, even if you made movies and your movie sold out in, sold in different territories. And, you know, people made money off your work and you can prove that with numbers. Like Brad had a... Um, one of his movies was like the best seller of a certain uh, distribution company. It was a title that sold, sold the most. So I think just that right there, it's a great um, at least entry, if not a way to convince somebody to give you money. 
But some people, they just get money because whatever, you know, and that's something that uh, you kind of have to get used to in the business that, you know, not everything is fair, but you just have to do your thing. Do you have a pre-production checklist? Absolutely. Um, we always start with the schedule, the budget, with looking for locations, locking locations as you know soon as you can because that's very important um, for us in general and for a movie. If you don't have the right location, then you're in trouble, and I don't think that's something you need to leave for last minute. And then we start to do casting and um, casting process, and then crewing up. Um, and obviously, you always set a date ahead of time. Hey, this is when I like to shoot. So if you have the location locked, uh, you kind of set the date by, you know, making a deal and, and locking that. And sure, that can be stressful because you already put some money down and you, you know, rented something. But in the same time, you kind of can't step that stop that train from from going so yeah we do casting that's something that uh, we take seriously and also you either call your people you work with or you know interview people for other positions different new collaborators and uh, that's how we do it once we cast we do rehearsals and meet with you know department heads before the shoot and make sure everything is in place and uh, we're available to everybody 24 hours a day for questions and uh, meetings and um, we try to like I said we try to have as many things locked in place as possible but you always have to be flexible for things that can come up somebody can drop last minute it's always something like that that's why I you know always have more resumes around because um, you never know you might have to replace last minute or something can fall through. You know, we like to prepare as well as possible, but things will happen no matter what. It's the nature of the beast. Right. So when you find the location, how much time are you giving yourself once you lock that location in for then, you know, you have to do casting, crew up, all these different things for this shoot date? You know, that depends too on the location. Sometimes, you know, if it's the desert and it's like something uh, more open like that or a theater in town that you kind of can, you know, work with them, but like it's, you know, easier to book, let's say in advance, maybe you have like a couple of months at least. But I remember like on a feature, we did this feature play, so I was telling you about the stages that, you know, we videotape for the pitch packaging and everything. Once we finally got the money from the investors, my first, you know, phone call was to them to book the stages. I remember I was trying to shoot in the summer and it was kind of like in springtime when I was calling. Well, the stages are not available till the rest of the year. I thought I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm like, I'm going to lose the money from the investors if I don't shoot by the end of the year. So all this, like all of a sudden big networks, they were like, they booked the place. So I finally got something, finagled something with them to shoot in October, which was fine, gave us more time to prep because we're building sets and miniatures and costumes and everything. Uh, it was a lot of prep to do so. In retrospect, that was kind of like a blessing in disguise because it gave us more prep work. But that determined everything. So it's not always up to you. You know, you're dealing with different situations. So that kind of increased our, um, you know, prep time, but that was good in that case. But usually around a couple of months, I would say. But, you know, obviously it depends on each movie, you know. Um, 
how much you have to do, if it's period or if it's set in the future, if it's contemporary, we have a bit less uh, time to prep it because it's, you know, a tad easier, especially if you have outdoor locations or locations that are a bit easier to get. Do you ever cast a movie without locking in the location? No, I don't think so. No. Or at least have an idea of what I might... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it kind of goes hands in hands. You don't want to waste people's time and tell them what in the audition. I need you... Because when we audition people, we kind of know when we're going to be scheduled or are scheduled to shoot. So we tell people dates, like we need you these dates. Uh, we even put that in the ads. Are you available? Because we don't want to waste anybody's time, you know? Different people have different commitments and uh, we, you need to be prepared and let people know in advance so they can clear the schedules and everything. So that's kind of how it works. In addition, we already tell them a date of some sort, so we, we know. Looking back on it now, why are you still here working in Hollywood? Because I'm crazy. <laughs> um, because I love to make movies more than anything else, and I still, I still think I'm gonna keep doing that because that's what I like, and um, I don't know what else to do. Period. What What are the stories you want to still tell? What do you want to be involved in? Um, things that create a universe, usually. Um, I'm always interested in that. Um, a movie that creates a universe, a world that we create, that's something that I'm interested in. And things that comment on um, what's going on or, you know, um, reinvent um, genres or subgenres, uh, things that disturb people. I like to make edgy movies. Um, I know that because maybe because I'm a woman or something, I don't know what people expect of me. I know back in Romania, I was more like, okay, maybe you're a woman, I'm going to be making movies for kids or, you know, sappy dramas or something. Well, I'm not interested in that. I've never been interested in that. I love to make edgy movies that uh, disturb people on some level and get them out of their comfort zone. And that's what I like to do. Where does that come from? Because um, I'm different and weird and uh, whatever people expect of me, I'm not, I think. Um, and I just think that movies uh, are great to entertain people and it's, you know, a great way to uh, escape. I do that too. But also I think it's a way for people to bring interesting uh, observations and start conversations as well. So. I like to probably start the conversation by disturbing and get people going and talking about it. But not just to shock, just for the sake of shocking, but just to create a conversation about, we'll see. Was there a point where you had to come to terms with the fact that you didn't want to do sappy love stories or kids movies where you embrace the fact that, okay, I'm. I'm weird and I'm okay with that. I've always been like that. Yeah, I always had an independent spirit and I don't want to let people to tell me what to do or when to, you know, allow me to make a movie or whatever. I just go and do it and I, that's how I am. So um, I don't think me and Brad, we react well to people telling us what to do. So that's kind of how we are and we're just gonna 
<laughs> do things the way we do things, yeah. And I've always been like this, so. Since you like to, um, you know, sort of stir the pot with conversation, it sounds like there has to be a point to why you're disturbing someone. Mm -hmm. It's not just for shock value. Mm -hmm. Have people commented after screenings and been fascinated by it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, you know, if we have a screening or if we can do that, we can attend a festival and they have a Q&A. People always come and ask questions and um, it's always a conversation. Sometimes, you know, um, we kind of have to go because they have to close the screening room or, you know, our time expired. But yeah, people, uh, you know, are, you know, are always interested in finding out more and why and um, what's the reason behind something. And that's, um, I think they, I think we should discuss that and talk about it. We're not just making something shocking just for the, like I said, just for the shock value. Everything has a meaning and something behind it. And um, it's interesting to get people's opinion or take about things too, like what, okay, you make a shocking uh, segment for an anthology, but what do they find shocking in that and see what they think. And sometimes what they think is not what necessarily you thought when you wrote it or produced it or whatever, but it's interesting to take their opinion in consideration and see what they got out of that. That's for us, it's one of the you know most, um, I don't know, most fun you can have by talking to people and get people's reactions and see what they thought and what their take on it is because it can be uh, something you, uh, you know, uh, kind of lives with you when you leave the um, screening room, kind of stays with you and something you think about and uh, I don't know, it's, it's for us, it's not just making movies for the sake of movies. You do, like I said, always think of an audience and it's nice to be able to interact and get their take on it. What was some of the feedback you received recently? You know, for us with the anthologies especially, it's interesting to see what people's favorite segments are and why. And um, it's always different. Um, some people like more segment, one segment, some people don't like that segment at all. So, you know, it's kind of like um, something new for us. And we're just, because we're the executive producers also, we're very um, interested in everybody's opinion and their take. And um, it's something new for us because, you know, each segment is directed by a different um, filmmaker. So we are kind of also trying to be very, um, uh, how can I say this? You know, they, the filmmakers, sometimes they get feedback as well. You know, they read the reviews and some they get upset that somebody didn't like their segment. So we're a bit kind of like their parents or psychologists. And like we're like, well, it's okay. They didn't like it, but this review liked it. And, you know, it's not about that. It's about you expressing what you wanted to express. We're always here to, to support that. So it's something new for us this time around because we kind of, also have to deal with uh, filmmakers and you know artists are sensitive sensitive we understand that and we're kind of trying to be more mature about it as well 